Welcome to the Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy podcast. On this podcast, we discuss articles written in the Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy and their implications for teachers, scholars, and other literacy experts. I'll be posting episodes every other Wednesday. If you're listening to this and you're not subscribed, go ahead and subscribe. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can just, you know, click that little plus icon at the top right corner to follow the show. And while you're there, you can go ahead and leave us five stars since you're already there. I'm just saying. My name is Matthew Soroka. I'm a former high school English teacher, current clinical assistant professor of literacy education at Mercer University. I'm also an associate editor of, of the journal about literacy. We have a good show for you today. I'm just really excited about this interview. We're going to be talking about social media this week. And you know how social media is getting more and more per- personal in their algorithms, like knowing what you like? How are we feeling about that? How are young people feeling about this ever more personalized social media? Well, we'll be t- discussing that today and its implications for, 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 for teachers and, and researchers. Before we do that, a couple of reminders. All the articles we discuss here on the, podca- on the podcast are available for free. They're linked in the show notes. You can click on it and read the, and read the articles for free if you're interested in them. Um, and, and I also want to say here that, you know, part, part of my reasoning behind this podcast and doing this is because I want these articles to get, to get out there. There's, um, really good work being done in a lot of academic journals. And I'm, I'm obviously biased here. Um, but I think JAL, the Journal of Adolescent Literacy is doing really good work in terms of, uh, best practices and current research trends for young adults and adult, um, people in the field of literacy. And I just want to make everyone aware that if you work for university or you're a student at a university, you can barely, it's very likely that you can have access to all of JAWS content for free. So, you know, some articles like the ones I'm doing podcasts on are free to read. But if you go to an article that's not free to read, um, you might see something there that says institutional or institution login. um, And you can click on that and put your kind of credentials for your university or college in there to, to get access to to all of JAWS content. So if you're not aware of that, I want to make you aware that's a thing that exists. But today's article is free to read for everybody. Um, and it's called, today's article that we're discussing is called Exploring the Role of Social Media Literacy in Adolescents' Experience with Personalization, a Norwegian Qualitative Study. And this article is written by Ashley Rebecca Bell, Maretta Kohlberg-Tensfjord, Miroslava Tokaska, and Ranghild Ig. Today, I will be talking to two of the co-authors and researchers involved in the study, Maretta Kohlberg-Tensfjord and Ranghild Ig. Maretta Kohlberg-Tensfjord is an associate professor with research interests within the field of adolescent and health, with special interest in how social media may impact on their and may impact their quality of life, body image, and general health. Ranghild Ig is a senior scientist at the Department of Innovation, Sensory, and Consumer Sciences at Nofema. With a background in psychology, she has a great interest in human perception and behavior, including multi-sensory experiences and interplays with digital technology. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm now excited to be joined in the Journal of Adolescent Literacy podcast by Ragnhild Egg and Maretta Tenshfjord to talk about their article, Exploring the Role of Social Media Literacy in Adolescents' Experience with Personalization, a Norwegian Qualitative Study. Thank you both for joining us. I guess to get started, uh, can you guys talk a little bit about your backgrounds and how you got interested in the work for this article? 
Uh, Ranghild, we can start with you. All right. Uh, so my background is in psychology. And I worked a lot with human-computer interactions, so how people actually are impacted by technology. And uh, at some point, I found myself working with digital marketing students. And uh, I attended a lecture where they were learning about data-driven marketing. And specifically, they were learning how to use targeted advertising to persuade their audience. And at that point, I found that to be so cynical in the way that there are so many conscious choices made behind the scene and that these are influencing us. And uh, well, Marietta and I came into a discussion with slightly different viewpoints. I guess uh, Marietta can elaborate on that. Yes, because my, my background is from uh, physiotherapy and public health. And I has been, and I had, I uh, was working with uh, adolescents and mental health, but we sort of and looking into uh, their activity levels or inactivity levels, and then we sort of realized that maybe social media could also impact their mental health in terms of inactivity for once, but also what they view or what they look at. So it was sort of. Um, a missing piece, I think, in the research I was previously doing, and then we, uh, yeah, um, hooked up with Ragnil <laughs> at Christiania, yeah, and then we looked more into the, um, the sort, yeah, the personalization or the understanding behind what they actually uh, look at. Oh yeah, that's it's so interesting. You guys are coming from different backgrounds, mm -hmm. kind of bringing in that background knowledge to, 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 to this work. So talk a little bit about. Um, personalization you guys looked at within social media so what does that mean per personalization and why did you decide to focus on that so again we were finding this common ground with social media and the influence it had on on young people especially mm -hmm. and um, I was interested in how this targeting um, took place and I guess we we converged on, on this personalization because we are continuously exposed to this kind of targeting, but we call it something else. We call it online user experiences or just content or social media interactions. So we started looking into that literature and discovered that there wasn't really that much research on the user side of personalization. And the term personalization is, is a kind of an academic term but it's basically just describing the fluent experience we have of using social media or other online platforms. Okay, yeah, and I think anyone who's kind of used social media has experienced that per personalization. Um, and and it's interesting looking at it from an uh, adolescent perspective on what that personalization looks like and the impact it has. Can, can we expand a little bit on how that connects to, I mean, we're talking about literacy here, um, can we expand on how that personalization and social media connects with literacy? You can go with anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, if I can just uh, refer to that to something we discussed in the article, because we we make the point that awareness is more or less the first step towards social media literacy. Yeah. So in order to have knowledge and understanding and skills to use anything, we need to be aware that it exists. So. That's also the foundation for the work we did is to understand what is the level of awareness in the young at the uh, young population. And so literacy for us was important because 
we're trying to see both the positive and negative aspects of social media and for for the adolescents to benefit from social media they should know what they're facing and know how to adjust this technology that they're using so they should be proficient in understanding the technology and not just proficient in using the apps as as we all do yeah i think that's well said i think as we expand and we have been expanding our definitions of literacy to include other aspects and and this social media literacy and digital literacies are something that young people are working with every single day right so they're being exposed to social media every single day and and there is we want students i agree with you to be um to be aware of what they're doing uh and to be aware of what is happening kind of on the other end um so with that in mind can you talk a little bit about uh your study uh the methodology how it was set up and how it's conducted um, yeah, I can go on with that because this was, this was a study that was uh, done in uh, during the um, uh, pandemic. Uh, actually, it was in I guess in the twenty twenty. Uh, yeah, so uh, we had um, we visited the high schools in uh, a suburb of Oslo, the capital of Norway. And we have uh, we included 48 adolescents, and uh, that was 20 uh, males and 28 females, and those were in the age of 15 to 19 years. So that's sort of the age span when they're in the lower and higher um, high school. Then, so the primary focus was to um, investigate if they understood the term personalization and how they felt uh, about that mechanism, and then also. Uh, also how they sort of their uh, thoughts about um, uh, how social media platforms would target their content directly at them in terms of if they had uh, positive feelings, negative feelings, or they didn't care. (laughs) So we wanted to explore sort of both their uh, understanding or their um, awareness, but also their feelings um, towards this, um, uh, to whatever showed up on their uh, feed. Are good. So you're exploring kind of are they aware of it and, and kind of its impact. So what yeah. did the findings show? Are were uh, participants aware of what was happening on social media in terms of the content being per, per, personalized to them? Yeah, they were. Yeah, because many of them have had noticed more than maybe on the superficial level that they had noticed that things sort of came again and again uh, and uh, whatever they looked at uh, once that showed up obviously the same the next hour or the next day uh, but their awareness was sort of very superficial they they noticed it but they still they didn't pay much attention to it it was they found it um, sometimes uh, helpful, so it was that I didn't have to search for the interesting content themselves, <laughs> so that social media sort of fed them with their, whatever they were interested in. And they also had these um, subjective thoughts about uh, personalization and, uh, and these uh, conspiratory theories that they could just talk to a friend about, for example, a sweater or something. And just by talking to somebody, that will make it show up on their social media account. <laughs> um, but if they maybe had actually searched for it, they didn't mention that. But um, they had those maybe more like this superficial understanding of whatever uh, was going on, but they 
at the same time, they appreciated the personalization. I don't know, we'll talk about it uh, maybe, uh, later as well, but they sort of appreciated also the easy access to whatever uh, showed up. Yeah, that's interesting. I think, I don't know if this is true. I don't know what the literature says, but it, I feel like talking to other adults, there's this idea that they find it kind of unsettling that our phones are always listening to 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 to, to, mm. to us and it makes us uncomfortable like big brothers watching us all the time mm. um maybe is that maybe less true with young people where young people or, or or was there some responses to say that it made them uncomfortable that someone was always kind of listening to what they were saying or what they were watching yes yeah some yeah some even said it was scary that huh. their phone sort of was watching them or that the everything was always looking over their shoulder uh that was few though but uh there was there were some that found it sort of irritating and even uh, scary that the how it was uh, how everything was uh, made or or customized yeah as as you look back on your findings now having completed your study were there things that did it go as expected or were there things that you found surprising or really interesting I mean, it wasn't surprising that they had some sort of level of awareness and they don't use the word personalization, obviously, but they, as my dad to say, they do notice that the content they encounter is consistent with what they've seen before. So they talk about liking, liking, I like this content and then I get more content that I like. But what was a bit surprising is that it took a long time. We had to kind of discuss with them before they realized that this is data this is their data, their their activities that are being recorded and then analyzed. And in the case of conspiracy, they lack this understanding of aggregated data. They can use several data points in order to understand a person better. So even though they have an awareness that they haven't really looked beyond the kind of the, the visual aspect and what they encounter, their first impressions. Yeah, I think that's yeah, I and I that doesn't that's not I guess not maybe not surprising. I, I I wonder myself now because reading your article had me thinking about my own habits and am I am I thinking about it in a critical way and like back account and you know it, it gives you videos of stuff that I guess is personalized to you and I and I've noticed like lately I've been getting a lot of home inspection videos. <laughs> And I and I wouldn't identify as someone who is like really into new homes or home inspections, but it's interesting, right? How this also plays into, I guess, one's identity, right? Where, as they start to consume more of the same material, it kind of reinforces that this is the kind of person there are. And I wonder too if, you know, if they're not thinking about it critically, if you're just thinking about it in a superficial way, um, maybe this kind of helps to formulate their identity in in maybe not good ways because it kind of limits them to kind of seeing videos and identifying with videos that kind of um maybe accurately or inaccurately kind of reflect who they really feel they are definitely and we've been discussing that a lot which is reinforcement not just of stereotypes but on worldviews opinions perspectives mm. all these aspects that form our identity it's certainly some people talk about echo chambers, but more than that, it's just information aligning with our existing viewpoints. And and at some point, you might not even be exposed to different viewpoints. Yeah, and that I mean that's what we talk about at the one of the great purposes of school, 
for young people is that they're being exposed to people who are different than them, different ideas. Um, and, and that seems to become even more important because it seems like as a society, it's, it's easy to get into, like you said, um, just listening to only viewpoints that reinforce what you already believe and not hearing, not being able to listen to people who have different viewpoints than yourself. And this is just yet another example of that. Mm. Mm. So um, can, can we talk a little bit of kind of making this connection to education? You argue in your article for a more formalized uh, teaching on both technology and its potential effect on users. I think that's great. I think mm-hmm. education sometimes is a little bit slow to react to kind of the everyday lives of our students and what they're seeing. Um, so can, can you guys kind of un- unpack that little mo- uh, uh, a little bit more? Um, what what would you like to see done in education to address some of these concerns? Uh, yeah, I think that uh, this is, yeah, we also discussed that in the paper. We've also been, been discussing that in the research group. So that we think that the whole technological side of social media has been giving far less attention than the impact of social media. Because we know more and more about how it's, yeah, as we said in the start, at the beginning, that the uh, the research focus has been more towards like, the negative impact of social media. And then now it's, I think it's turning more and more to look at all impact from both the positive mm-hmm. and, the, and the negative sides, as I mentioned. But but uh, to sort of to, in, in Norway, adolescents are not allowed to use mobiles in schools. And the Norwegian politicians also consider like age limits for certain um, 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 uh, platforms, a certain mm-hmm. uh, certain usage so thereby restricting their use and and for some that might be good of course maybe uh, it doesn't harm using social media less for some if they have many hours uh, every day but I think that only restricting the use without educating them in critical thinking is maybe not uh, the, the, the one and only way to go that we need to sort of educate them and teach them um, how it works and how they can themselves uh, perhaps make yeah, informed choices, how they can restrict whatever comes up, how they can um, make more uh, content come up so that they themselves can be in control more than people do control them. Yeah, I, I think that's spot on. I think sometimes we get into these debates around social media and it becomes, is it good or is it bad? I mean, it's good, let kids do it. If it's bad, we need to ban it. And we're having some debates here in the United States in terms of, it's almost like a state-to-state thing on on uh, adding age limits to things like TikTok. But I think sometimes what gets lost in, in these kind of good or bad is a lot of young people are on it, right? So let's just acknowledge that a lot of young people are on it and they're going to be using it all the time. Mm-hmm. So now let's talk about if this is just the reality that they're on it and using a lot of time, how can we as parents, how can we as educators, how can we kind of as scholars um, understand it better and, and help young people and, and adults to to be able to use it more responsibly? And as you said, Moretta, um, be critical thinkers of what they're observing, right? When, when we're in our classrooms and we're teaching critical thinking skills. We don't want the critical thinking skills to kind of stop when they leave the classroom, right? Like we want them to be able to apply it in their lives. Mm. And a huge part of their life is social media that mm. we want them applying these critical thinking skills too, right? Yeah. 
I think it also comes for because they have to they have to sort of digest whatever they look at if it's health information if mm. it's uh, commercial advice whatever it is that they have to be critical to what they see and not sort of um, uh, throw themselves at everything they they look at but uh, maybe yes for the teachers I would certainly turn the focus also more towards the techno technology behind it because uh, mm. as um, I have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. Uh, so there, uh, there have been uh, like um, people invited to schools that talk about what to do and what to not do <laughs> with uh -huh. social media. They have to be aware of, more, more maybe to be aware of who's contacting them and, um, and uh, not talking to strangers on the internet. But it's very little focus into how does actually social media work and and if you look at that uh, then you should expect that the same thing will come uh, again and if you're in a certain age group or if you're female versus a male then maybe you will encounter this versus that so that they are sort of aware and sort of prepared for their <laughs> online world which will come mm -hmm. uh, before you know it yeah. um, and, it's, it's, uh, and I wonder, yeah. Moretta, how you're, you're talking. I'm thinking, yes, teachers should be talking more about that. But then I'm thinking, I want to know how to talk about that. I wonder well, if uh, there's kind of a lack of preparedness among educators yeah. to have those conversations as well. Yeah. And we also we also have uh, one of our, um, in our research group, we also wrote a paper about the how sort of the parents or the caregivers could also pay attention to this, um, uh, to the personalization or the... Um, use of social media and that was uh, written by uh, Miroslava Tokowska in our group and we also then uh, looked into sort of how they could um, how they can also be more involved in their children or their yeah, friends or family members uh, more and more and I guess uh, uh, my 10 year old he doesn't have like this instagram or tiktok or snapchat but he does um, he has youtube and he spends some time on youtube and uh and i can see that actually when he yeah when he when he goes into youtube the same content sort of um, comes back in again and again i have asked mm -hmm. him that have you noticed this have you noticed that and it's like yeah he has reflected somewhat of it but he but i sort of started just with him as an experiment <laughs> yeah. trying to make him aware of when he pressed this and when he looked at that that was because of his choices and because he's a 10 year old and he will yeah so i think that having yeah, preparing them for their um, for their future online lives which will happen whether we like it or not <laughs> yeah i i agree it, it reminds me of uh, a few episodes ago i talked to Dr. Sam von Gillern about video games in, in school and video game use from adolescents. And he made the point that, um, and I agree that, that the video game usage can be kind of this productive time if kind of parents sit with their kids and talk about the video games that they're playing and even play them, them with them. I think there needs to be, I think sometimes um, as, as both teachers and parents, sometimes we look at that's kind of that generation's thing of, of doing that. And it's not my thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, but I think kind of just like the video game argument, I think we, if they spend a lot of time on this, on this form of media, right. And, and taking in all this, this, this video content, 
um, we need to be having conversations around with, with, with our kids, with our yeah. students about what yeah. they're watching and why they're seeing it and kind of those discussions you guys were mentioning about kind of behind what's what's causing those videos to come up again and again and again. I think that it's important for, for kids to think critically and, and to have those conversations, right, uh, around that, around social media. If we have a responsibility of this as educators, uh, as parents, we, we need to see that transition to autonomy. It's not like we can expect children and adolescents to be autonomous from day one, so we need to guide them. But we cannot just simply enforce strict rules that denies them what is the social norm of their age group. So we need to be there to guide them, certainly. Through yeah, dialogue, yeah. I, I agree. So you, you guys uh, suggest one kind of strategy um, to, to achieve this, uh, you talk about working as a group to create a scripted social media account and then kind of putting in information and tracking the results and kind of seeing what video mm -hmm. happens. And I really like that idea because <laughs> you're, there's something about removing it. It's less per, per, personal now because you created this fictitious person as a group and you can kind of more objectively look and see what's happening. I'm just, I just find that idea so interesting. I was wondering to talk a little more about that idea. Have you seen that done or, or anything like that done before? And kind of where, where did that idea come from? So we haven't seen it as group work, but we, we doubt that we're the only ones to think about this. So it actually comes from something called the walkthrough method, which is mostly used in media studies. But typically then it would be one single researcher uh, using an app and just documenting all the functionalities and the outcomes of using them and somehow trying to understand how that app or online site would guide a user towards an end goal. So it's slightly inspired by that and it's also inspired by just people trying to, other researchers trying to sort of manipulate the algorithms, for instance, just um, following one particular politicians to see what the the related messages will be in the end. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because, yeah, like I said, I think with our own accounts, it becomes too personal. It's almost hard to kind of see it objectively, but using another account and and even like the idea of collaboration and, and as a group kind of investigating um, these these issues around, uh, well, if, if you feed a certain information, what information do you get back out? I think that that's, that's interesting. So... Yeah. Um, I always like uh, this podcast is designed for um, everyone, but specifically, I always like to, to do a specific focus on pra practitioners, um, people in the field of education. Um, this is certainly a topic that impacts all of us, no matter kind of our wh where we're at in the realm of education. Um, so can we, and I know we talked on this a little bit, but can we unpack this a little bit more? Um, given your study, what do you think it means for, I want to look at a, several stakeholders here. What about for people who are designing curriculums for schools? Um, what would this study say for them? So at least we know the Norwegian curriculum in the, in the elementary school and digital competence is well established as we assume it would be in many countries. But when we look at the wording, it is very top level, it's very broad leaves a lot of interpretation up to each individual educator. So that means, as we've been discussing, it's a, 
if the teacher doesn't really know about this, how can we expect the teacher to to implement that in the classroom? Mm -hmm. So we need to have more specific learning outcomes. And they also probably need to be updated more frequently because this technology is is continuously evolving. So we think these criteria should be more specific and they shouldn't just address certain aspects. We need to address the technology itself, the algorithms and the data-driven services. And we shouldn't ignore all other effects on the individual. We talk a lot about well-being, but we also should address perspectives, worldviews, identity. And that again has societal implications. Yeah, we, and we, we mentioned before, there is like some politicians are talking about banning the platform. Um, but in the in, in the meantime, and even if they ban the platform, it's it's not ban the platform, it's it's putting age restrictions on the platform and students will get around those age restrictions or students will use it once those once they're beyond those age restrictions. Um, and so if they're not hearing about it in school and if curriculum is not, I, I, don't, I don't think teachers, I, I think first you have to have kind of the standards, right? And then, and the curriculum and then teachers will teach those standards and curriculum and, and have the profession, professional development to prepare teachers to teach those standards. Um, but yeah, but right now I'm looking um, in, uh, and, and my focus is more secondary school here in the U.S., but um, there's very little in, in the curriculum that, that talks about these issues and these topics. So, yeah, I think certainly we can see more of that. In terms of, and you guys mentioned, uh, in terms of literacy scholars or scholars around this, this field, um, you pointed out there's kind of this gap in this literature. Um, what do you think literacy scholars or, or scholars kind of across the board uh, should be aware of given your study um, or, and, and, and maybe even um, where, where, where do you think more kind of studies should be done around this issue? I think it's uh, simply said to keep up with the technology hmm. or to elaborate. So just to play around with it and be a bit more daring. How, how can we actually put our literacy theories in practice? Uh, we tend to drive ourselves towards understanding and uh, large theories and large phenomena and we make these models and then we try to implement them on specific functionalities and it becomes very difficult. So it would be nice if we can look at functionalities of technology and not just social media as one big, broad phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's good. I, I think going back to kind of basic sociocultural theory, right? And we think about how our literacy is impacted by you know our community members, by um, how our, our our family members talk by what we observe in school, our classmates around us. But sometimes I feel like when we talk about those ideas on how our literacies are formed and how our ways of knowing are formed, we 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 forget about technology sometimes, and then we leave out the impact that that social media. I mean, we might be hearing voices from YouTube and from TikTok more than we're hearing voices from from family members, right? Like, um, and so and and all those voices are impacting how we how we view the world as well. Um, and you're right, I think sometimes we don't think about it in those terms. In a way, I think the adolescents themselves might actually lead the way. They're the ones that use these technologies a lot more than we do. And I'm just assuming they might also talk more about what they encounter on social media. So in that way, we're we're actually relying a bit on a, a theory by Manka, Bacconi and Gleason I really like the way they presented is that we can generalize from specific platforms. 
So we learned something about, for instance, TikTok or something in our adolescents. They talked a lot about this For You page on TikTok, mm -hmm. which provide all these recommendations. And this is actually how they, a lot of them were acquainted with personalization and they were generalizing that to other kinds of social media platforms. So just by talking to adolescents, we're actually gaining insight on future directions for research. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good point, right? Let's, let's not exclude the, the main stakeholders in all of this from the conversation. And um, yeah, I don't think we should underestimate what they can offer into this discussion. Um, Given your study, what, what advice would you have? We talked about a little bit, but any other advice you would have for, for parents, given your study? Yeah, I think, I guess I'd sort of just look into your, your children's phones, uh, look into their accounts, preferably with them. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, sort of just having their, this is something that occupies both their time and also their interests in one way or another and to show yeah, interest in what they are, um, um, in which um, accounts they have, uh, show interest in uh, whatever they are looking at and also trying, them having, trying to have them to reflect upon what they're actually watching and why, why they're watching it. So yeah. More, yeah, more just um, making them aware of what they spend their, <laughs> what they spend their time on. Yeah, I think that that that's well said, Maretta. I don't. I'm. I have a a one year old, a four year old, and a six year old. Um, thankfully, we haven't had any, had had to have any social media conversations yet. They're not quite at that age, and I'm yeah. already dreading yeah. having those conversations. But I also don't think. I think sometimes people make it out harder than it needs to be. As Maretta said, like I think a lot of it is just sitting down with them, and and kind of being open about it, and talking about what they're seeing, and talking about. And just having conversations around how they're spending their, their time, um, yeah. I think it can be that simple sometimes. True. And I think we all we all, all we always prepare for this puberty talk, <laughs> <laughs> our bodies and what's going on in our minds. But I think this is maybe also a talk that should be sort of parents should talk in uh, in addition to that puberty talk. Should yeah. So, no, so, so now there's two talks. There's the puberty yeah. talk and the, and the social media talk. Yeah. <laughs> Too tough for our kids to dread. Uh, so, so, so what about for, for teachers? So even though like right now, a lot of the curriculum doesn't address these specific concerns that you guys raise, um, mm. how would you advise teachers to, 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 given your study, what advice would you have for, 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 te for teachers right now? Um, I guess the teachers could well, it's all about the, uh, of course, um, what they are allowed to do within the frames of the curriculum, of course. Right, sure. That, uh, like just um, uh, with time or even maybe now, it's uh, possible to have more focus towards the, te the technology. Uh, I guess the teachers won't be able to look into the to pupils' phones, of course, but that the, instead of maybe, um, that we could, you can have the the like the, having the students or the pupils to have like homework in uh, or also during class that they could if they're allowed to be on social media um, uh, accounts or uh, that you can maybe have them to look what's um, showing up in their feed have them reflect upon that maybe among the yeah the 
yeah, both the younger and also the older adolescents, and to discuss that without maybe maybe going into depth of what's actually showing up, but more in the general uh, general term. So without exposing them that this showed up in your account and this showed up in your account, but maybe more in the the sort of general discussion. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that these, as you mentioned, I think as, as Ranghild mentioned before, that the students are talking about it, like they're having these conversations around it. So I think having it in the in the classroom in a more formal way, I, I, th I think could be effective. The, um, I, I think too, like I used to, I was a high school English teacher for 14 years and um, we had a unit we would do on um, how um, advertisers influence you and we talked about kind of uh, logos pathos and ego ethos and how these things influence the the consumer and i never made the connection to 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 social media but i think we could have similar conversations right when, when we're talking about things like um how media tends to influence us and and how we can be critical thinkers mm. um i think another avenue where we can apply critical thinking is to um our, our, our social media use. And it's a little bit tricky, right? Because as you said, we can't look on their phones or, or sometimes get into, in, into specifics, but we can, I think we can ask them to, to think critically about, hmm. uh, about how, how they spend, uh, about how, about the media they observe, the video, the content, the literacy, the literacies yeah. in their own life to, to reflect cr critically on that. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of connections to be made between um, asking them to think critically in the classroom and then applying that to, to different avenues of their own life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, this, I, this is, this is so interesting to me. And I think, um, there's plenty of work to, 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 to see where this work will go in the future. I'm wondering for you all specifically, um, are there, uh, future directions that you guys will take this research or is this, are you guys going to move on to different projects now? Well, we have kind of already run a follow-up study, a survey, and so we're looking into the results now. And one thing we're focusing on is this differential use of different social media platforms. So we noticed during our interviews that the, these adolescents, they would talk about using Instagram for showing their new makeup or their new outfit and all these picture-perfect uh, situations. And then they would talk about TikTok and all this entertainment, all these funny videos. And then, uh, and then we had some politically engaged uh, students who were tweeting, or they were on Twitter, whatever, whatever it's yeah. called now. Yeah, X. Yeah. X. <laughs> so we're looking into uh, to these both the differential use, but also the strategies behind it. So what are they trying to obtain, which actually adopting their use to these algorithms and the functionalities of the different platforms. Oh, that's really interesting. Because I, I think about immediately in my, in my own life, I, I have a Twitter strictly, and I have two Twitter accounts, or two, I'm sorry, X accounts. <laughs> and and they're, uh, I have one kind of just for my, like, I like sports. And so one is just like, I follow a bunch of sports people. And then I have one that's professional. And so where I just follow a bunch of professional people. And so, and then I have like a Facebook that's just like a very personal with going with my life, but I don't bring any kind of professional stuff into Facebook. And so I think um, it's interesting. I see myself in my own life doing that, kind of taking on different parts of myself in the different type of social media platforms. Oh, that's really interesting. 
I find that super interesting. We would, would like to actually recruit you for our next study. <laughs> We're actually looking at this whole professional versus personal identity. Yeah. Mm. I know. And then I wonder, like, when, when I release this podcast, like, I don't put it on my personal Facebook. Sometimes I wonder, maybe I should put it on personal Facebook because I'm friends with a lot of teachers on there. But then I feel like I'm, I'm worlds are colliding there. And I don't know how I feel about worlds co colliding there with my personal professional lives. Um, <laughs> though a lot of my friends on Facebook are people who I know professionally. So it's just, it's yeah, it's, it's these weird spaces mm. um, that, that we, we, we go into. Yeah, and we have actually PhD students looking into the sort of the um, ideal identities, the personal identities, the professional identities. So that's the work being going on now. And the work will, will be going on now for the next uh, three years. So, um, and we all have, uh, we have been very particularly interested in the sort of the professionals into health studies. Uh, uh, those that promote like um, uh, food, uh, exercise, uh, psychological issues even, to look into how they sort of use social media uh, and how whatever they post, how that differs from who they actually are. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. um, so that's a work in, uh, which is, will, be start, will be starting this and uh, and uh, the next spring so um, so looking into sort of if whatever they post or whatever their professional identities how how it aligns or how it differs with yeah their uh, who they are their personal identities oh man i'm interested in these different strategies so it's really it's really cool that you mentioned how you have two accounts and that's a strategy to to actually separate the professional from the personal self mm. so, yeah, it is. It is. I still find, like, even my professional account on Twitter, like, I find it limiting somewhat because um, I just follow like a bunch of literacy people on there. And but there's other aspects of, you know, my my, my professional self that I'm interested in, but I can't follow everybody, so I kind of have to pick and choose, yeah, so I don't get overwhelmed with content. So I don't like, like, I don't want someone looking at my professional account and then making assumptions about my professional interests or other things about me but i guess uh, i guess people do um oh this is this is really and i feel like just talking to you guys this is this is i mean there's a so many and you guys already have thought about this but so many ideas and studies to to come out of this um that that we need to understand better and more <clears throat> yeah. uh, especially with young people as they're getting mm. into this because I, I now I need to think more critically about my own use and and certainly young people need to do as well. So I think that's um, important and good. I, are you guys, you know, we're talking about social media. Are you guys on social media? Are you guys professionally on? Like, can people follow updates on your study in, in, in some platform or no? I uninstall Instagram every now and then because yeah. I tend to just scroll and scroll. Uh, so... I, I at least don't have a sort of professional reach out beyond LinkedIn, and that also is quite inactive. But I am kind of um, very eager to adjust the privacy settings when I use social media. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's the same with me. I really I use social media more to sort of keep contact with the family and every and to sort of 
I guess for the professional and for the whenever a paper is out or whatever you do, we do something like this podcast or yeah. write some popular science papers. It's, uh, then Facebook is usually used because they're, yeah, as you said, uh, Matt, that many of the professionals, professional uh, colleagues or uh, or acquaintances are following but it's not it's not a huge number (laughs) it's uh but then you of course you have uh, like research gate you have this other uh, platform not platform but other pages sort of that also will highlight whatever you do so yeah i'm a fan of i go to google scholar and do the alerts so it alerts me on certain writers whenever they they publish Mm. something or are cited it gives me their the, the the recent article so yeah i think there's ways to follow people's work closely without using those social media platforms hmm. um oh yeah we didn't even talk about yeah i'm also like i don't know have you guys done any work with linkedin is that does that come i mean i guess young people don't really use linkedin very much do do, do that it's more professionals yeah. my impression is that they learn a little bit about that when they come to university yeah. and then they try it and nothing really happens there there's no instant feedback yeah. so it just becomes an empty shell yeah hmm. huh. All right. Well, this has been a really interesting and fascinating conversation. I appreciate you guys spending the time um, talking with me about your study. And I look forward to to seeing what more studies you guys come out with from this kind of really interesting topic. So thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you for inviting us. It was uh, well spent time. (laughs) Thank you for an interesting discussion. Absolutely.